and welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. My name is Adela, and I'm the founder of PBC. Today, our guest is Mila Atmos, host and executive producer of the Future Hindsight podcast. We listened to an episode of Future Hindsight as part of our July 2020 listening list on conspiracy, which you can find at podcastbrunchclub.com slash conspiracy. In the episode we listened to, Mila interviewed Nancy Rosenblum about the idea of conspiracism and how as a society, we are living in a culture of conspiracy where nearly everything is seen with a lens of conspiracy with no evidence, let alone theory to back it up. Welcome, Mila. I'm so happy you could join us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Sure. So before we launch into everything, I just wanted to let you know that um, we had, we had a number of meetings that I actually went to this month. So we had our Chicago meeting and we had our virtual chapter meetings and I went to a number of them and um, people really enjoyed your podcast. So thank you for everything that you do. Um, I also did a poll on the Facebook group to see like I always do this to just to see what people's favorite from the um, from the list was and your episode tied with Wind of Change. So uh, it was one of the favorites. That's which great. Is, yeah. That's great so to just, know. Yeah. I wanted to share that with you. But for those listeners who are new to Future Hindsight, can you just give us a little overview about the show? So Future Hindsight is a show that is an interview show. So we interview people from all walks of life to inspire our audience to get civically engaged. And so we have people on who are activists and academics uh, and sometimes politicians, but primarily not politicians. Really, we want to talk to people who have some expertise in a field um, that, you know, an issue that is facing our society and uh, kind of examine those issues more closely from their point of view. And I find in all of the interviews, I learned something new about the issue that maybe I didn't know from reading the newspaper alone or watching, you know, news television, so that I have a different idea of what I could do as a private citizen to make change in that field if I so choose. But also to inspire other people who are listening that there are these really good people out there who do this work and are really dedicated. Very cool. Um what what is your background and why did you decide to start the show? So uh, this is a good question. How to answer? Uh, let's see. <laughs> well, I studied history in college and then I have a master's degree in international affairs. And uh, I was always interested in general in how societies work and in which way societies thrive. And one of the focuses for me in uh, college was about nation building. So I uh, studied the formation of the German nation state and the Italian nation state away from having um, city states and becoming one country and what that took. And uh, I'm originally from Indonesia, which is a very young country. And uh we always learned so much about what it took for Indonesia to become a nation state. And so that was always a very interesting topic for me in general. And, um, you know, now that I live here, which is a very mature democracy, I thought that those questions are really relevant again today, sort of like, what does it mean to be a nation? And what does it mean to be a thriving society? And uh, I think at base, this is my biggest curiosity. And uh, in the wake of the 2016 election, I thought, you know, I think 
the unhappiness from Americans at large can be rectified and addressed through more civic engagement instead of only watching the news or only reading the newspaper. I think if we all uh, jumped in and did even a little bit, it would make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as you know, we listened to your episode about conspiracism, the discussion with Nancy Rosenblum. Um so can you just, for those listeners who maybe didn't get a chance to listen to the episode, can you just say a little bit about what conspiracism is? So the way that Nancy Rosenblum defines it is that conspiracism is a departure from conspiracy theory in that it is a conspiracy without theory. Normally, conspiracy theory attempts to make sense of the way the world is unfolding. And so, uh, for example, you know, JFK was assassinated. And so there is a conspiracy theory that the actor was not alone. And then so there is all this research about how there was somebody in a building or the angle of the bullet and, and this kind of stuff where there's all this research to back up their claim that there was really a different reason. And what the conspiracism that Nancy Rosenblum talks about is, is that it just makes a base allegation without having that theory, without having any of the research. And it just uh, accuses the other side uh, of something nefarious or something that is, you know, not quite up to snuff on the surface. There's really something else behind it, but nobody can be bothered. Or really, that is not the point, frankly, to have the proof. Mm-hmm. So so then how is conspiracism different from disinformation? I think conspiracism is a form of disinformation. Uh, and so, for example, when you say, you know, Pizzagate, that is conspiracism. There is nothing behind Pizzagate. There literally is no theory. There is nothing to back up this idea that something really happened at um, Comet Pizza in Washington, right? And so... It just gives you an idea that something is wrong, but nothing is really wrong. Mm-hmm. And so by inf- by giving you the idea, it makes you feel like, oh, well, maybe, maybe something right. is wrong there. And right. that's really all it means to achieve. Right. It's a plant. It's like planting a seed of doubt. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the, the things that really struck me about what Nancy was talking about was the idea of the that the loyal opposition is in, an integral part of democracy and like the key word there is loyal and i had you know i i was never a political science major or history major i was never really into that but i've heard loyal opposition thrown out uh, thrown around a lot but it never really until she talked about it really thought about what does that mean she did a really beautiful job of kind of breaking it down in that like it's it's integral to democracy because the opposition is seen as loyal and not treacherous or traitorous. And that that seems to be what is sort of falling by the wayside now in the American democracy is that like the opposition or the party in power or, you know, the other side, whatever it is, is pointing to the other and saying, not only are you opposing us, you're also traitors and not patriots. And that seems so different than 
everything that has happened in the past. And and then she also talked about like this whole disorientation tactic. And it just made me start wondering about how much people go through this whole like disinformation, fake news, conspiracy theory, fatigue, like just fatigue around, you know, vetting their news source because everything is called fake news or everything is called disinformation or there's a war on the media or there are these blanket statements of fact when there's nothing to back them up. And so people are just like, well, I don't even know what to believe anymore. So I'm either just going to believe everything or I'm going to believe nothing, you know, (laughs) and I feel like it's just such a scary, slippery slope. You know, how do you feel about it? Yeah. So, well, if you think about fake news and disinformation uh, as being the bedrock of uh, authoritarianism, it makes perfect sense because the idea is to create exactly this environment that you speak of where we are not sure what's true and and we cannot figure it out easily. It takes a lot of work and even with all of that work, we can still get it wrong. Even for people who are well-educated and read everything, it still feels like it's a crapshoot, you know. And then there are truly people who are hiding the truth, right? So then, or let me say, if you look at the media, I, I don't want to say that they're hiding the truth, but they often go along with reporting things that aren't true. So, for example, if you watch a press conference with the president, if he tells a lie, nobody challenges him on the lie, even though everybody in the room knows he's telling a lie. So if you are somebody who's just watching, you know, this news conference live, then you just accept everything at face value. And once it's in your brain, it's very difficult to dislodge, even if you know it's not true. Right. So I just heard today that somebody said, oh, I think the virus is going to go away on November 4th. And it's like, what? No, of course not. But because she heard it in a press conference, she believes it. Yeah. You know, so it's the kind of thing where it's it's really to sow confusion. There is um, uh, an interview I did with Lieutenant Colonel Travis Trammell as part of the post-truth season. And he really looked at the disinformation campaign, the fake news campaign from the Russian government during the 2016 election. And they have something called chaos theory. So the whole point is to create chaos in people's minds and the media to pollute the information stream to the point where it is not readily discernible what's Mm -hmm. true and what's not. And that's Mm -hmm. when an authoritarian type government can take over. Right. It's propaganda, too, right? Like, it lets propaganda. It, there's a yeah, it's, it's quite scary. And that I mean, that brings me to my next point. Like, I was surprised that Nancy seemed so optimistic. Because I mean, you asked her, and she's like, Oh, I have a lot of hope. And given what she had been talking about, and how different it feels from everything that's happened in the past. Um, I was surprised. I was definitely surprised that she seemed very optimistic. Um, So I'm wondering how you feel. Are you optimistic? I'm definitely optimistic. I'm optimistic in the way that I think is very similar to hers. Uh, And this, I think, goes back to your comment 
about the loyal opposition. I think there are many people who are uh, opposed to whatever government is in power in this country, who love the country just as much and will do the right thing, uh, you know, based on the circumstances. So I just was listening to an interview with Stuart Stevens. He wrote a book called, um, I think it's All a Lie, about the Republican Party. And he was a Republican Party operative for many years, and he is definitely a never-Trumper. And he spoke about how the party became Trump almost as a matter of course because of its philosophy. But that this doesn't mean it cannot be reborn and really embrace the things that we all thought it stood for you know, for uh, balanced budgets and, uh, you know, a family-oriented party. And, you know, what he argues is that really the Republican Party for many decades was just about gaining power, and it just had this veneer on. But he is certain, and I, and I, and I think he's right, that, in fact, there are many people who do embrace a balanced budget type of party and a family-oriented party. And there are millions of people out there who believe this too and who could build a new, let's say, center-right party or rebuild the Republican Party. So I think that is really hopeful. I'm also really hopeful that so many people are now civically engaged in ways that I didn't think was possible. So I think that's, that's really fantastic. And people are really you know, fighting back and, and they want democracy to work in this country. So there is much to be hopeful about. Having said that, you know, the government right now essentially is attacking its own people. And so I don't know whether we will um, in the end prevail, but it looks like everybody is, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people are making a huge effort. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a really good point that... um this kind of, I don't know, divisiveness, as scary as it is, it is bringing people out. It's, it is getting people to, to act on their beliefs. Um, unfortunately, sometimes those beliefs are terrible beliefs and, and people do like horrible damage and um, commit atrocities, which is what scares me the most. But, um, but it is good to hear that people are optimistic. Um, but I want to I want to take a step back from the your episode and talk a little bit about the listening list as a whole. I know that you listened to to all of the episodes that we included, which was, was awesome. Um, I mean, awesome of you to listen, not that the, not that the listening list itself was awesome. I liked it, but um, it was good. I really enjoyed it. I recommended it to a bunch of people. The whole list. Okay. Oh, yeah. good, good. Um, yeah, I just wanted to hear how you fe felt like the future hindsight episode sort of fit within it or diverged from some of the other ones and how conspiracism, maybe you heard a little bit of like the whole idea of conspiracism in any of them. If you did, I'd love to hear your, your takeaways. Well, I think that uh, especially through line and then the episode about, I forget the name, but the one about the... Um, Secret Society. Um, Antil. Yes, Antil. Both of mm -hmm. them were so good in setting up sort of 
the way that we think about conspiracy theories and that we readily accept that conspiracy theories can be true. And in fact, sometimes they are, right? So there's a place for conspiracy theories. They do Mm -hmm. uncover things that are sometimes hidden by the government or powerful actors, let's say. And so uh, I think this, without this culture, something like the new conspiracism that Nancy Rosenblum speaks about would not be possible. So I think because we are so deeply steeped in this tradition, uh, we were primed to be exploited, <laughs> let's say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I really appreciated sort of the... So some of the episodes, especially the Ant Hill and, like you said, through line, um, made me sort of feel a little bit better about conspiracy theories because I was like, oh, this is this is just like status quo. This is the way that it's always been like nothing new to see here, you know, and sort of made me feel a little bit better about the state, the current state we're in. And then your episode sort of put a little bit of a spin on that and really said, well, no, actually, we're 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 in a different sort of political era and that it's not the same old conspiracy theory where there is like, you know, the, the theory doesn't exist. There is no evidence to even back up the theory. So it's just, you know, statements of like presented as fact with nothing to back it up. So I, I felt like it gave a good, um, it just sort of gave a good counterpoint of like, you know, we can't be, we can't just sort of throw our hands up and be like, oh, this is the way it's always been, right? Because like, you know, the through line episode told us about how America was founded on a conspiracy theory. Um, so, you know, we can't just be like, oh, whatever. It's no big deal. This is always the way it's been. So I don't really have to do anything. Your episode really said, no, it actually is a really big deal. And this is how it's different. And this is how it's different from the past. And this is why we need to do something. And this is why we need to vote. And this is why we need to, you know, say something. So um, that's kind of how I felt like it fit in. Would you would you agree? Definitely. I agree. Yes. I mean, I really hope that this would come across that in fact, this is a different thing that we than what we are used to, and therefore we must fight against it and take action and stand up for truth, which is incredibly difficult because very often, like we just discussed, it's not that easy to discern the truth. But I do think that um, even a little bit goes a long ways. Uh, I speak up all the time when people talk about some article they saw in the New York Post, let's say, which I know is not a true article. And I'm not saying that everything the New York Post publishes is untrue, but there are some things we all know is untrue, you know, like um, sort of like the National Enquirer, right? Like there's a flesh eating bacteria, whatever. You, You can dismiss that. And you can say, if you're in a conversation with other people who cite something that is inaccurate, you can simply say, you know, That's not true. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to get into a fight about it. But I think it's really important to say those things as opposed Mm -hmm. to just saying nothing, which is sort of what the press is doing right now. Very often, like I said, they don't challenge the president. But I think it's incredibly important, even if the president were to rebuff the media, even if the person that I'm speaking to does not respond or gets angry, I think it's important to say it out loud. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Totally. Um, so let's focus on the future of future hindsight. <laughs> um, 
I know that you guys were recording this on August 11th, and I just got your press release that on, I think, August 14th, you're launching uh, season 11, which is wow. Season 11. Good for you guys. That's amazing. Thank you. (laughs) That's a lot of work. Yes. Um, Tell us about it. Tell us about what the next season's about. So the next season we thought uh, would be interesting to do something about uh, the election, uh, and so last two two years ago in 2018, we did something that was sort of about voting, electioneering. Uh, and so this time we thought, well, how can we think about having political power? So our next season is about building political power. And we talk to people who are um, building political power for different groups. And so I start with Eitan Hirsch who wrote a book called Politics is for Power. And what he does, this is actually really perfect for our conversation today, he he talks about how most of us in this country are engaged in something called political hobbyism, which is that we are reading Twitter all the time, we're watching cable news, we shout at the TV, or we read the newspaper and we get upset, but essentially we don't do anything. Like if somebody were to ask us, you know, how to build political power, we wouldn't know. If you, if somebody said to you, well, when is the next, you know, community board meeting, you wouldn't know. So he said, if you really want to build political power as an everyday person, you should really start paying attention to what's happening on a local level, because that's in fact where you can have the biggest difference. And so I think that's a really great way to start the season. And then uh, there was a person that he interviewed called Drew Cromer. He started a Democratic Party precinct in his college town, Davidson, North Carolina. And uh, he is our second interview. So I got to speak to Drew. That's really exciting because he's really young. He's only in his second year. He's about to be in his second year law school. And he started this Democratic Party precinct basically from scratch. And it's the kind of thing where you think, oh, well, we don't think that we have this kind of power, but we do. And so he talks about that. And then we have a bunch of other people talking about uh, uh, the Tea Party. And so I speak to uh, Theda Scotchball. She's a renowned political scientist at Harvard. And um, she did a lot of research on the Tea Party in uh, 09. And so she just came out with a book that kind of compares where the Tea Party is now with uh, resistance movements today and um, and how they're similar and how they differ. And it's really fascinating and, and sort of, you know, what people do together to build power. And that's really what politics is about, is to work together in a group, in a movement, to ask of government whatever it is that you need. And and I think this reminds us also, and I like to remind people all the time, that the government is us. We pay mm-hmm. for the government. We mm-hmm. pay the taxes. We pay our public officials. We pay the people who work at City Hall. And so really it's up to us to demand what we want government to do for us. Mm-hmm. You know, it it makes me think that... I don't know. I Have you heard or talked to anybody in uh, your 11 seasons that works with young people and students, like maybe at the high school, you know, secondary education level? Because I feel like that is really important. I mean, they can get involved in student government or whatever, and that's that's fine. But like really, like 
narrowing in on civic engagement and community activism. Have you talked to anybody? Yes. So, in fact, we have an episode with Scott Warren. He's the founder of Generation Citizen, which basically teaches civic engagement. He calls it um, action civics to middle and high schoolers. And at the end of each term, they have something called Civics Day, which is kind of like a science fair for civics. And they present, they have these um, cardboard presentations and they tell you what their problem was. Like there's one civics day that I went to uh, where they wanted to, the, the high schoolers there, they wanted to get the cafeteria to stop buying certain types of meats. And so they basically did all the research on what kind of meats are being bought for their school and how they could make that change within the system which I thought was really interesting. So instead of being disruptive, say, you know what, you're already doing these things. How about you do it like this? You know, instead of doing step A, B, C, and D, how about you just do A, B, C and skip D and don't buy the sausages or whatever it was that they wanted. It was really interesting. And I thought, oh, this is so clever. But essentially what this is, um, Generation Civics, it teaches civics as a proper class. And so it's a mandatory class that you can't skip. It's not extracurricular. And uh, the teacher is, I think, what they call uh, a democracy mentor. And you learn how to put together a case to appeal to your local official, or in this case, to the people um, who run the cafeteria. And how you can have those kinds of conversations and what it takes to maybe change somebody's mind on the other side or help you get the thing that you really want to do and work together with your classmates to get there. And is that where where is uh generate what what was it called generation generation citizen so generation citizen is in several states I think it's in Rhode Island in Texas I want to say Massachusetts uh, New York definitely because I went to a civics day in New York and there are a bunch of other states I don't know I don't remember them now all on the top of my head I also spoke to Louise Dubay who is the um executive director of iCivics, which is an organization that was founded by Sandra Day O'Connor. And it's basically a gaming app or it's a gaming platform about civics. So there are games that you can play. For example, um, the one that they just re-released this year is called Win the White House. So you have to build a campaign. You have to have a budget and you have to make ads. And it's really fascinating. And there are a bunch of other ones. There are some easier ones, some harder ones, uh, and they're very compelling. And and one of the reasons that Justice O'Connor did this is because when she was talking to people in education, they said, you know, the easiest way to get the attention of young people is to make a game. And so that's yeah. why they did that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. It's true of everybody, right? Like, everybody wants to have fun. You know, like, if you can make learning fun, it just makes it a lot easier for it to sink in. And if you can make it practical, too, you know, like these kids are affecting change in their own cafeteria as opposed to some, you know, arbitrary thing that is not going to affect them on a day-to-day basis. If they can learn by doing something that actually changes their day-to-day life, like I think that that's just going to sink in more. So, yeah, that's really exciting. I love that. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. It's cool. There are so many people who do tremendous work out there and really are trying to make a difference and getting people, uh, you know, properly informed and engaged. 
um, especially starting at a younger level. You can get it, you know, you can set the example really early. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I love that you're working to give that those people a platform and sort of highlight what they're doing. So I think you're sort of contributing to the overall good. So thank you for everything that you do. Um, so I want to I want to ask you one of our final questions, which is something I ask all of our guests. And that is, you know, Podcast Brunch Club is a podcast listener community. We love learning about new podcasts. I want to hear from you about whether or not you have a podcast recommendation for the community. I definitely have one. Uh, it's maybe slightly unorthodox. I grew up in Germany, so I speak German. And I've been listening to this really fantastic podcast called Das Coronavirus Update, which is um, produced by NDR. And it is with uh, the chief virologist at Charité Hospital in Berlin, uh, Christian Drosten. In fact, it was covered by NPR that this um, that this uh, podcast is out there. But actually, a friend of mine who's German recommended it to me before NPR covered it. Uh, and it's really fascinating. It's really good. So, for example, a few weeks ago when he was on, we were talk he, they were talking about um, reopening schools. And I think this is a really interesting question to ask. And he said, look, you know, if you're talking about reopening schools, if your goal is to have coronavirus schools, coronavirus free schools, rather than <laughs> I'm like, what? No, that's not I what I meant to say. Nobody's goal. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. But if you want to have a virus free school, then chances are you can't open school. True. But if you accept that there will be coronavirus cases, then you can think about this totally differently. That's a different kind of question. You know, if you accept mm -hmm. that there are going to be some cases, then what are you going to do when you have the cases? Mm -hmm. And nobody's really having that kind of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And that's in German, right? Yes. That, <laughs> yeah, okay. it's in German. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I like to, I love the idea of featuring some podcasts that aren't in English. I mean, there's so many out there. So thank you for that recommendation. You're welcome. And then, yeah. And then just to wrap up, um, Tell, tell us how people can follow you or get in touch with you, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, for future hindsight and all that. Yeah, so you can uh, follow us on Twitter at uh, future without an E. So it's F-U-T-U-R underscore hindsight. Or you can follow me at Mila Atmos, all one word. Uh, that's M-I-L-A-A-T-M-O-S. And then uh, on Instagram, we are future underscore underscore hindsight. <laughs> I know, it's so, so tricky. Uh, uh, and yeah. then uh, on Facebook, where we're not very active, but we do have a presence there. It's just uh, future hindsight. That's pretty straightforward. Also, people follow us on LinkedIn, which I think is very strange, but I have a following there, which is cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, but I am very active on Twitter. And I think a lot of podcasts, a lot of the podcast community is active on Twitter. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was really a pleasure to talk to you and your episode was really fascinating. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Podcast Brunch Club community. Do you have any thoughts on our discussion this month? Send a message or voice memo to podcast at podcastbrunchclub.com. PBC is a passion project, and we rely on support from our global community to continue bringing people together in person and online. So if you feel like PBC has contributed to your life in any way, please consider becoming a patron or making a one-time donation. Go to podcastbrunchclub.com support for more information. If you're interested in becoming an organizational partner, go to podcastbrunchclub.com sponsors. 
A quick thanks to our early partners. Podbean. For one free month of podcast hosting, go to podbean.com slash pbc. Podchaser, the IMDb of podcasts. Listen Notes, a podcast search engine. Critical Frequency, the podcast network for everyone else. The Venn Media, a weekly newsletter for curious minds. And Lentigua Williams and Company, podcast network, telling stories in the seams of society. Finally, some credits for this episode. Katie DeFiori is our audio editor. Music is from Chad Crouch and Miss Ayal Ghana, downloaded from Free Music Archive. I'm Adela, founder of Podcast Brunch Club. And as always, thanks and happy listening. <laughs>